This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 82 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Stephen Watson all about creative time management. We have quite a interesting uh, debate at many different points about time management, and I absolutely loved talking to him. It was interesting to see um, his perspective, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a few people about time management now. It's one of these things that I will you know, come back to a, a multitude of times because I always believe I can improve um, on my on my time management. So, um, but first, before we dive into that interview, uh, last week's question was, what is your success measure? And we had a range of answers, some on uh, the Facebook group and some in Instagram. So on Instagram, we had uh, Jeff from uh, the Big Gay Fiction podcast podcast say his success measure was to continually improve and to see that reflected in better reviews and better sales. Author Mira Monroe said finishing and uh, the continuous building it's a future plan. Jason Vrowles of Vowels. Sorry, I just butchered your name there. Uh, said, fucking mountains of cash. Just kidding. Seeing new readers, even if one extra uh, is a win. Uh, Shah Shahrazad said, for my story to be read and give me enough so that I wouldn't have to do a an in air quotes real job. Amy Mertz said, if people buy the book over time, as opposed to a spike and then a cricket. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. V.D. Vestel said sales and uh, confused, mused, confused muse that was hard for me to say it said money I feel so mercenary saying that but shrug no I think it's absolutely valid that um money is a um is a measure and why the bloody hell not like so often we're taught um I think particularly women but you know maybe men no I think particularly women are taught not to want these things not to you know yeah like we're taught not to want these things and why what just because we can push babies out of vaginas give over like we can we can do both those things we do do both those fucking things every single day you know there's nothing wrong with wanting more um and wanting to succeed and wanting a career like too fucking right um i'm gonna get off my pedestal matthew goodall um said being satisfied that i can see my book babies out in the world bringing joy to others um, and I think uh, Lynn Fiona said, I just want to hold a physical book I've written. No one even has to read it. Is that shallow? God, no, it's definitely not shallow. And then Linda, uh, Linda Nausch said, for my debut, I consider it a success. I don't know uh, if, if I don't know everyone who brought it. <laughs> it's funny because that was one of my um, success measures at the beginning as well. Uh, you know, that moment you get a review from somebody uh, that you don't know. And then on Instagram, uh, sorry, on Facebook, uh, Ian Worrell said, first get to $100 a month. Um, and I think that was the only comment on Instagram, uh, on Facebook as well. So yes, all right, this week's question is, what are your personal time management tips? The book recommendation of the week this week is Taking the Short Tack by Matty Dalrymple and Mark Lefebvre. Um, I think I recommended Wide for the Win uh, a couple of weeks ago, so another, another Mark Lefebvre book. He's just producing so many goddamn good books. Uh, but I read Taking the Short Tack uh, this week or last week, I can't remember. And I like binged through it in like less than a day because it was fantastic um, and it was so stuffed full of ideas and different ways that you can use your short fiction that I'm gonna have to go back through it because I stuck so many sticky tabs in that I just couldn't take it all in in one go so yeah I am recommending that book uh, for the book of the week this week all right so in personal up to date then up to date what is that I can't speak obviously it's <laughs> nearly the end of the week <laughs> I can't speak Anyway, 
in personal update, I have been working on uh, the edits for side characters this week. And uh, editing is such a head fuck for me. I go on this wild roller coaster of like just being an asshole to myself and telling myself that the book's not good enough, that this section's crap, it's a waste of time, you've repeated yourself, this isn't going to help anyone. Um, You know, what other shit do I say to myself? It's not funny, or just all the shit that, you know, we tell ourselves. And this is, I think, why I find editing so tough, because I don't do this in the drafting, but then, you know, drafting, I'm not looking for that critical thing I'm just charging towards the ending whereas in editing I am being critical and I yeah I I do find it hard and I've got myself into this position where I've got four fucking books to edit back to back so I'm gonna be a whiny little bitch for a little while um but yeah no I mean there are the occasional moments where I will um like look at a sentence and think it's funny or look at a thing and think oh actually this is a really good bit of advice or a bit of tip or whatever but no I I, I am here to be honest and I am finding it tough I'm finding the imposter syndrome tough I'm like this book isn't good enough you can't release it it's not going to help anyone and yeah I don't I'm just I'm finding it tough and I know that that means it's more or less ready to go to a critique partner but I fear that process as well, because I'm like, I just don't want them to tell me I have to rewrite the whole thing because I just want to get it finished and over the finishing line. And then the perfectionist in me is like, no, you absolutely have to have it perfect before it can be released. And then like the rational brain in me is like, of course you can't have it perfect because perfection doesn't fucking exist. So get over yourself. Um, Yeah. I am sure this waffle right here is really familiar to so many of you. Um, So I hope (laughs) that me confessing my ridiculous uh, wafflings of my brain is is helpful to somebody else, just so that you know that you are not alone. Um, Yeah, I'm terrified right now and I'm trying to talk myself out of publishing it and delaying it and all of the rest of this crap. So I'm sure once I've got to the end of editing, um, it will be fine. But I had a big editing day today. I edited 11,000 words. And so I'm just, I've just savagely hacked myself apart. And that's why I think I'm so spectacularly whiny today. (laughs) Uh, What else have I been doing? I think Oh, I had a couple of days off this week as well, which was lovely. And I got to go to a bookstore and I brought like nine books. <laughs> I've had another two books turn up since. And I'm definitely going to another bookstore this weekend. So yeah, basically I've just been indulging my book habit, which is terrible. But you know, hey, I am reading like 11 books a month at the moment. So I feel like it's it's allowed. That's like a month's worth of books I've brought. So what else can I tell you? No, I reckon that's probably probably everything that's been uh, going on for me. I am trying my hardest to get through side characters and the workbook as soon as possible so that I can get back in the recording studio and finish recording villains. Uh, Because once villains has been recorded, I need to then uh, edit the other two fiction books. I'm really on like a finishing energy, finishing all of the things uh, spurt at the moment. So yeah, and I, I am kind of deriving energy from that as well like I think I've been in such a creative production mode for so long that I'm just fucking absolutely hysterically desperate to finish something and push it over that uh, publishing line now the only thing the only thing I will say about having got into this position where I'm where I've got four books that are ready well almost ready for publication is that I am entirely overwhelmed with marketing plans and like all of the work that comes with that but it's also exciting because I get really hyped up by launches I love a good launch um you know and it's like I try to be really engaged uh and do lots of lives and things like this and I love that stuff it's fun and exciting so yes um all right I think that's it so uh we've talked about the book of the week oh also (laughs) of course 
Rebel Author Diaries anthology submissions are open. If you haven't got your story in, make sure you're writing it because the submission deadline is June the 30th. So you've got sort of a couple of months uh, left to get your stories written. All right, the Rebel of the Week this week is Alexa. Alexa says, I definitely just set off my device that we all know has the same name as our Rebel of the Week. <laughs> so I've had to edit and re-record re this. Anyway, uh, she says, I haven't lived a particularly rebellious life, but I've had a couple of moments. I used to train in Mai Tai and I'd been training for nearly a year when I was uh, signed up for my first fight event. On the day of the event, I was told there was an uneven number of girls entered and I might not get a fight. So what did I do? I told them I'd fight two girls so everyone could participate. What the fuck was I thinking? In the end, the first girl refused to get back in the ring with me after round one. <laughs> A good thing because I definitely didn't have the cardio to go full three rounds with each girl. I fucking love this so much. I love this because I am also a fighter um, and I've definitely like, like there is, there is, people think, you know, I think people underestimate how exhausting fighting is, but um, when you are, like, it's very different sparring in the training dojo to fighting in a real ring because, you know, the adrenaline is going and you are blowing out of your ass and neither of you really wants to give up. If you're in a ring, then you are both as competitive as each other. And um, yeah, I, I actually love fighting so much. <laughs> It's probably not, I don't know if I should be admitting this, but I do. I I have competed regularly until bloody um, lockdown. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got a few medals to my name and I just, there is something so, um, I don't know, like euphoric about being in the ring. And uh, yeah, so I absolutely love that you had a vagina of iron and was like, hell yes, I will just get back in the ring again. Like so much girl power to you. I think it's amazing. So yeah, thank you for this uh, uh, rebel of the week. One new patron this week, and oh my goodness, I really hope I say your name correctly, but welcome and thank you to Atorna Son Lemabe. Uh, and of course, a gigantic thank you to all my existing patrons. We had the Patreon only, uh, what's it called? <laughs> Poison and Prose session um, yesterday, as I recall, or as I record this actually. And it was so wonderful. It was one of these really positive, like, I don't know, I, I sort of messaged everybody on Slack afterwards saying how, uh, like, warm and fuzzy I'd, I I was at the end. It might have been the gin, like, I'll be honest, it could have been the gin. But also, it was just so much fun. I love my patrons and I love chatting to all of them. So, uh, yes, thank you so much, uh, everybody who, who came to that session. And the next one, I think think is on the 12th of May. Uh, and of course, that is uh, just for patrons. So if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content and uh, things like the exclusive Poison and Prose sessions, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. All right, that's it from me. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I'm excited to buy today's episode because it's all about time management and uh, I can always do with improving my time management. So I am joined by Stephen Watson. Stephen is a business owner, former higher education teacher and author of Time Limited. Transform your busyness into a thriving business. He's a time mastery specialist who helps busy professionals uh, to develop time habits and master their time. Stephen believes that instead of wishing we could make more time, we should focus on making more of time. I'm also excited because Stephen is the husband of one of our former guests, Joe. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome. How are you? Hello. Um, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me and for the lovely intro. Uh, in fact, the way you said busyness and business, I think I have to start doing that. that yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> oh, I genuinely thought that's how I should say it because it was like a play on on words. So I was like, oh, so just for <laughs> listeners, because uh, the, the bio 
you, you can't see the bio. He, um, yeah. Oh, well, no, no. Anyway, I mean, I suppose it's obvious, busyness and business. But anyway, yeah, I thought it was a play on words and it was very clever. So yeah, let's just pretend you um, did it like that way on purpose. Okay, so <laughs> tell everyone a little bit about your journey um, and how you ended up uh, like writing a book and sort of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, well, my background is as a teacher. Um, in fact, I, if I backtrack a little bit further than that, I, when I was at university, I was most interested in sports coaching um, and sports leadership and management and that kind of thing. Uh, so when I finished at uni, I, I started uh, my own business and, or as it turns out, busyness. <laughs> um, and, and I found all the challenges, you know, that small business owners have in, in doing that, but it seems to go quite well. We were doing, uh, we were doing, uh, rehabilitation programs with care home residents and doing exercise programs with them so that was going really well the university asked me to go back in and, and speak to the group about what I've been doing and um, fast forward kind of cut a, a long story short I really enjoyed kind of the process of speaking to students and, and helping with their education and that pushed me into uh, teaching and I was teaching sports leadership and management which of course is very similar to business leadership and management as well. It's just applied a little bit differently. And so that, that's how I ended up doing uh, my work with businesses. But along that, that same kind of time period, my, uh, my mum unfortunately was diagnosed with a terminal brain uh, disease. Um, and, and it was crazy to think that I was working six and sometimes seven days per week on my business and and it was a real kind of um, uh, penny drop moment where I thought well this is crazy you know why am I doing this it's not the most important thing I should be spending more time with uh, with my family and with the doing the things and that mean the most to me with the people that mean the most to me um, so I made a decision straight away come what may I was just going to cut down my working week I was going to spend quality time with with mum every single week and and I did that that was kind of um, a bit of an eye opener in itself because it was quite easy to cut a full day out of my week. I didn't notice any difference in, my, in what I could achieve. And that started my obsession, if you will, with, uh, with time mastery and how we can achieve more in less time so that we can um, transform our busyness into a, a thriving business. So I have... I find this so deeply fascinating um, and I have this fraught battle with time because um, one, I'm a workaholic, proud and very happy to do so because I absolutely fucking love my job and I like it brings me so much joy and I don't know if you've heard of like the Clifton or sometimes they're called the Gallup strengths um but I have like achiever and competition as like well uh, competition is my number one and achiever is my number two so I actually get energy from working so I always have this battle between wanting to spend time with my family but also gaining energy from actually achieving achieving things but prior to covid i had you know a uh, wrap around childcare so i worked a normal uh, I, I worked 8 till 4 generally that was a normal working time and then when covid struck um my partner works for the man so you know there was no flexibility um and it was more than not on my shoulders to do all the childcare and the homeschooling and so I have now got to the point where he is in school um even though in the UK uh, most schools are still shut but we my because my partner works in education he gets a, a, a space anyway so I get at most five hours a day to work now I am in some respects I'm like well uh, my business hasn't died <laughs> So obviously I'm still managing to keep my business afloat. However, what has happened is I've worked this in the last 10 days, I've worked eight evenings until half past 10, almost consecutively. And it's because I cannot seem to get the right things done. And so th like, this is why I'm so excited to talk to you because I know this is going to have a huge impact uh, like on me and hopefully on listeners as well. <laughs> so tell me, why do you think people still struggle with time management when it's like a 
billion dollar industry. There's so many fucking tools out there, so many bits of software. And yet still, like, I cannot get my shit together. <laughs> tell me, yeah. tell me why. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. And and I think um, it's interesting that you you talk about the the challenges that, that you have and, and working in the evenings and, and homeschooling as well as working from home and, and all of this stuff, because it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. And it, it's very individual to people's needs. Yeah, lots of people talking about work-life balance, but as you said there, you know, it's, you don't want to separate the two, you know, you, your work is a big part of your life and, mm. and you want it to be integrated in that. I, I believe that it's about having the right balance between different things. Um, and only you can really decide what that balance is. Uh, I like to think of it as a, a a table, four legs, and, and you've got your physical health, your mental health, your relationships, and your work. And if that if that table is not balanced, the whole thing can fall over. Uh, but for some people, you need to put more emphasis on on one of those legs than, than the others, and that, that changes at different times. Um, I mean, how, how often do you see it when people are, are doing really well at work, but their relationships are breaking down at home or or they're overweight and not, not exercising enough or, mm. or alternatively people who are doing seem to have all of that in place, but really they should be trying a bit harder at work because uh, because of all that. But yeah, so again, again, the balance is right. But in terms of why people still struggle, I think there's two main reasons that um, people can Google time management and get literally billions of results back. Um, I think the last time I checked, it was about 4 billion results that came back when you Google time management. So there's no shortage of advice. Um, but yet people still struggle with their time. And I think there's two main reasons for that, um, in my opinion. And the first one is that most of the advice that you get from, from those Google searches come back and they say it's about choices, decisions and priorities. And if you get those right, then then you've mastered time. It's not it's not about that for me because around half of what you do on a day to day basis is none of those things. It's just habit, and it's stuff that you do on a on a routine basis. You always probably get up. If you get up with the first alarm, you always do it. If you get up and you press snooze before you get up every time, then you always do that as well. You probably have your coffee the same way every morning. You probably have the same for your breakfast. You probably have the same routines generally. Um. So. Building habits is is really important, and the other thing is about having a structure. And um, you know, people try to try to run before they can walk, and it's a little bit like maybe trying to learn Pythagoras before you've learned how to count to ten. Um, I use this thing called a, um, a pyramid of time mastery, which which starts with a, with the foundations at the bottom, and you have to get those things in place if everything else is going to make sense above it. But so many people just don't get the basics right um, at the bottom. And then they try and, you know, put put the peak of the pyramid in place first before they've got anything else underneath it. And it does it doesn't work. It all falls down. So yeah, the short answer to your question is um because it it doesn't build habits well enough and uh, because there's not usually enough structure. Okay. So um, one of my later questions is about the pyramid of time mastery, but what a brilliant segue. So I'm going to jump around a bit. Um, so yeah. talk to me about the pyramid of time mastery. Like how can it help listeners be more effective with their time management? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, my my background as a teacher makes me kind of want to have that structure and, and that almost like progress path of how people can learn. Um, a, a given thing. So the, the pyramid basically starts with five blocks at the bottom. Um, it's it's about understanding why you're doing what you're doing, what what is driving you, um, what's the point of it. It's amazing how many people don't know that, by the way. Um, Can you give an example? Um, yeah, so it might be that you, you want to, um, that your passion is in, in learning new things and interviewing people on podcasts and you love to have um, engagement with people, you love to have conversations, you love to uh, help other people by interviewing people about things that they know about. It might be that that's what really is what drives you and, and why you do what you do. 
what doesn't drive you maybe is paperwork and admin. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding why you're doing what you're doing and what you actually want is um, is really important. And as I say, it's amazing how many people don't really know what they want. They would say they want more money or they would say they want more whatever, a big, a big house. So, you know, they, they don't, they're not crystal clear about what it is that, that they're really doing it for. Um, so having that in is the first block. Then there's awareness, um, self-awareness about what you actually do already. I think any, any program starts with that, doesn't it? You have to know where you're at at the moment before you can really know what you need to do to improve. Um, the other three blocks are having a vision of what you actually want in the future a big, big goal, if you will. And then there's the next block is planning. So breaking that down into, uh, into milestones uh, that you can, that you can hold yourself accountable to along the way. And, um, and the final one is, is on the bottom foundation stage is about mindset. And that's about um, changing the way that you think about time at the moment. Everybody says they want more of it. But as you said in the intro there, it's not about having about making more time it's about making more of the time that you've already got um so that that's the basic that's the foundation of the pyramid and then it it builds up and and adds things on top things like productivity organization discipline strength balance habits autonomy influence and things like that and it works up to the the peak of the pyramid which is um what i think everybody wants ultimately and that is freedom um freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want, <laughs> essentially. Um, and that, that's the, the process that, that my, uh, my programs go through. It gets the basics in place first and then builds on top of them. Yeah, I love that. Freedom is definitely one of the things uh, that drives me. It's, it's like one of my, uh, I don't know, like mantra words. Um, okay, so what are the biggest mistakes people make with time management? Um, okay, so I read something the other day that I really liked. It, it said that people always underestimate what they can achieve in a year, but they always overestimate what they can achieve in a day. Mm. And, and I think that's really true. It kind of goes back to those foundations in the pyramid, really, about understanding what it actually is that you're trying to achieve, breaking it down into steps and being realistic about it. And we're seeing it a lot at the moment, aren't we, with people who are trying to work from home, they're trying to homeschool, they're, they're trying to do way too much in a day. You can't fit 100% of your stuff and 100% of somebody else's stuff into just one day. It just doesn't work. It's math that doesn't make sense. And so people always, even without this going on, people overschedule and their, their days and then they get really frustrated when something overruns and it impacts on everything else and now you can't do anything so you throw the whole lot out the window and then you're just flying by the seat of your pants for the rest of the day and you don't really achieve anything so it's a big mistake that people and uh, people overschedule their time and they're not realistic so there's um there's a thing called the 80 20 principle mm-hmm. that you've, you're probably aware of the Pareto. Pareto, yeah and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it, it's basically a rule that says 80% of um, the things that you get come from only 20% of the things that you do. Um, so that's true across across lots of different areas. A good example I always give is, is a wardrobe. If you look in your wardrobe, there's probably only 20% of the clothes in there that you wear like 80% of the time. And there'll be a lot of stuff in there that you don't really really well that much it's the same with with your relationships if you go networking about 80 percent of the benefits that you'll get and 80 percent of the great results you'll get will come from only 20 percent of the people that you meet mm-hmm. and it's the same with work as well that um eight you can get 80 percent of the way towards your goal by only doing 20 percent of those tasks so i think when it comes to scheduling time is if you can identify what those top 20 percent of things are and get those done first, you put yourself in a really good position to, how, to achieve. How do you identify the 20? Well, I think you it, it's understanding where you want to go um, ultimately, so they're getting the foundation in place first, and making a list of everything that you do 
and then saying how close, how much closer does this take me to um, to that target? Is it something that's a circumstantial thing, or is it something that actually drives me forward towards that? That's something that I need to really, um, really make a priority. And actually, in, in terms of in terms of admin, there's there's a little task that um, that can help with with that uh, when you identify things that you really want to do and things that you need to. You might say it's all very well saying I'd love to just interview people on podcasts all day, but if my paperwork doesn't get done, then I won't have a business at the end of the day because it'll go under. But if you make a list of everything that you do and then categorize that list as either A, B and C, then and then it can help you. So A tasks would be things that definitely need to be you. 100% needs to be you. Nobody else could do it. So, you know, this this interview wouldn't be wouldn't be great if it wasn't you delivering it. Of course you want to do that as well as that would be an A task, absolutely. A B task would be something that you currently do but you could train somebody else to do it. And a C task is something that absolutely doesn't need to be you. It just needs to be done. So what we can do with that list, once you've got everything that you do, you've got A's and B's and C's all over it. Get rid of the C's straight away. doesn't need to be you. So um, you can outsource that. You can delegate it. You can, you can try and um, find another way for, for it to not be you that does it. So I'm going to stop because I completely agree. But the only reason I agree is because of the position that I am in now. It has taken me probably, I would say, seven years to financially be able to afford to outsource anything. So I now outsource all of the VA work. Um, So like the show notes, pulling together the blog post, creating the social media images and graphics uh, for this podcast that somebody else does that and I pay them uh, for that. But I've only been able to do that since sort of late November, where my income has grown to the point. So prior to that, no matter how much I knew I could, like the outsourcing was what I should do, I just couldn't afford to do it. So Mm. like I, and I think a lot of listeners who are, um, are, are going to be in a similar situation. It takes a long time, especially in this creative industry, to get to the point where your words pay you enough Um, that you then can start to outsource these things. So if you can't afford to outsource, what do you do? I think most, um, I mean, absolutely. I'm not saying this is a a, a one size fits all rule for for everybody by any means. And there will be some things that you'll have to do. Um, But generally you can outsource more things than than people think you can. There's, There's programs out there, there's things like, you know, your Fiverr and, and things like that. You can do it quite cheaply um, with, with a lot of tasks. Um, interestingly, on the on the B tasks, just to kind of finish the, the list off, the B tasks, a lot of people think um, I could train somebody else to do it, but it would take me longer to show someone else to do it than it would to just do it myself. And, um, and the answer to that is that if it's a one-off task, then you're probably right. But if it's a task that's a repeated thing and it's going to be coming up on a regular basis, then it's worth the investment to either um, delegate, outsource, or automate that that sort of task. There's, in answer to you, you um, what if you can't afford it? There's there's a thing that I like to do called valuing your time, and and I don't mean that in a throwaway or you should value your time way. I mean actually creating a calculation for what is the value of your time. Mm, that's actually um, what I did. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I worked out how much like I earn per hour versus what the cost of a virtual assistant would be. Um, and then because I would earn more than what it would cost to pay a virtual assistant to do it, um, I then started outsourcing. Um, and also what happened was instead of, because my skill set does not lie in admin, what was taking me six hours a week takes my VA two hours a week. So not only yeah. was I technically saving myself like physical cash, um, I was also gaining back more time than I was having to pay somebody else for. So is, is that kind of where you're going with that? Ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. that. There's the opportunity cost. And there's also the fact that they will do 
a better job in less time than you if you kill, if you get the right person. Yeah. So um, yeah, out of interest for the, for the listeners, if they're struggling to think, what is the value of my time? Yeah, it, there's the opportunity of what could I earn in that time. But I think a, a nice calculation is to work out what you want to earn in the next 12 months, divide that by the number of weeks that you want to work in the next 12 months, taking into account holidays and, and things like that. Then divide that number by the number of hours that you want to work per week. Um, and that'll give you a, a figure. Then you double that figure because uh, it takes into account that not everything you do is going to be income generating. So there's going to be some of your tasks that are going to be um, developing your business proactively, trying to put processes in place and, and stuff like that. But once you've got that figure, um, let's say, for instance, just for easy maths, it's £50 that you get as your, your hourly figure. Then if a task comes in and it's worth uh, £25, so you know you shouldn't really be spending more than half an hour of your time on it. If it's worth uh, if it's worth £100, you know you can probably afford to spend a couple of hours on it. But, yeah, I think that there are, if you can possibly, um, if you can possibly engage a, a, a VA or somebody to take those C tasks off your plate, then it really does work financially to, to do that, as you've said, because you can you can generate more in that time by getting someone else to do the task for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. And that is exactly where I'm at now. I assess everything and I'm like, you know, can I pay somebody else to do this? Should I be doing this? Um, but I also know I'm privileged in the fact that it's taken me a fucking long time to get here <clears> because there's no way I could have done that a year ago. Um, and so I think there's a very tricky period in certainly small business growth where you literally can't afford for somebody else to do it. You know, you have to get to the point where you can not only take a salary out of your business, you can also, you know, reinvest profit back in. There's one thing be able to pay, pay your mortgage, but if you don't have enough to then outsource as well, you you literally can't do that. Um mm. But yes, okay, cool. So um, I have a very niche specific question. How can I deal with my fucking inbox? <laughs> How can people be better with their mailboxes? Because I think it is um, certainly for me, and I know for some of the listeners as well, it's it's a source of anxiety. It's a, it's a fucking to-do list, but it's somebody else's to-do list because, you know, it's everybody emailing you stuff that they want you to do rather than, you know, the, the only things on my A-list are interviews and writing words. Everything else can yeah. be done by somebody else. Um, yeah. Well, uh, maybe some of my inbox can't, but anyway, um, you know, so how, how do you, how, how do you, how sh can people be better with their inboxes? Because I've tried all manner of mechanisms to, um, to, to get it to work. And it just, it just plagues me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and emails are a massive uh, if there's a, if there's a major time thief, you know the email is is it for most people, and they, they feel that it's not just the inbox itself; it's the distraction of having it there, and and people sit there in front of their screen with their phone next to them, and every time they get an email, it pops up and says, "You've got an email. This is this demands your attention now." It's no surprise that things take your attention and distract you when when you've got notifications set up like that. So I would say from the start manage your notifications uh, better on on your devices so that it works on your terms rather than demanding your time whenever it sees fit um, but in terms of the actual uh, the actual inbox people find it really overwhelming don't they you've, you've got a, a sea of emails in there and you know that that one's going to take half an hour that one's going to take 20 minutes to deal with that one's going to take goodness knows how long i don't i don't even know and you you constantly looking down the list up and down the list to see which one should i do next which what should i do and it's uh, it's really really frustrating so there's a couple of things that you can do to help with that um, you might be familiar with the um urgent and important quadrant of uh, uh, um prioritizing tasks that's right yeah yeah I love me some time management. If you have, if you can't tell already, I fucking loved a bit of time management stuff. I'm just still shit with it. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, and it, those those areas can be used really nicely as folders. Lots of people make tons of folders in email. You don't need to. The search function allows you to find what you need to find anyway. 
Um, but folders that I find useful are, um, are those ones. You can have one that's uh, urgent and important. Um, so those are things that you have to do today. You can have one that's urgent, but not important. Uh, things that you'll, you should really try to get off your plate, delegate if you can, if you're in a position to be able to do that. And um, things that are um, important, but not urgent. And those are things that you'd want to schedule. So if you've got those folders in the side, the fourth one, fourth part of the block is obviously things that are not important and not urgent. So you just delete those, get rid of those ones. Um, having those folders allows you to then use quick steps, which is a thing on, on Outlook that allows you to quickly put things into folders in your inbox. Um, once you've got things in the, the do folder, the delegate folder and the schedule folder, you've then got a good idea of what, of how you're going to have to structure your time. So if let's say, for instance, you've got 10 things in the do folder and you know, at the start of your day, you're way up against it. You're never going to get all of that done. It's better to know that at the start of the day than it is to know it with 10 minutes left in the day and you've not done everything because you can start to speak to people and be um, open that line of communication with people. Maybe they can help you. Maybe you can have an extension on a deadline. Maybe there's other things that you can do that you can put in place to help you with it. Um, with the delegate one, you can you can have a look nicely and see what who you could pass things to if possible. And with the schedule, one thing that people don't tend to know on Outlook, and it's so simple, is that you can drag and drop um, emails into the calendar. So if you click on an email, drag it down to the, the bottom and let go of it over the calendar, it makes a calendar entry just like it normally would. So if you think that's going to take you 15 minutes to do it, but you don't have 15 minutes now, you can find a time in your schedule where you do have 15 minutes and schedule it in. And that starts to clear the actual inbox and make it into scheduled tasks, which I think makes a lot more sense to people. Yeah, so for just for those people who are Mac users, of which there are a lot of authors who are Mac users, um, I just double checked that to see if you can do that using Mac Mail because I don't I don't use Outlook, um, and you can do the same thing uh, using iCal and uh, and uh, the Mac Mail. So whether you're PC and use Outlook or whether you're Mac and you use Mac Mail, there should be a solution there for uh, both both camps. Yeah, absolutely. It it tends to work on on everything really, and. Um, on, on most email programs at, at least. But yeah, I think that that you, tends to really help with, with emails. And then you mentioned before about having auto replies, if you can get them to work properly. <laughs> um, some people I know, it doesn't work for everybody. Some people like to have an auto reply that says, in the interest of time, um, being, being productive with my time, I check my emails twice a day. Um, so if there's a delay in me coming back to you, then that's why. If you need me urgently, then call this number and preferably not your mobile. But um, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have an, an office number that, you, that has an answer machine, that's even better. But if you, if you set that boundary and you set that parameter, an expectation really, then that can really help. Because I think lots of people as well, whatever you do, it sets a precedent for the next time. Mm -hmm. So I speak to people sometimes and they say, I really want my customers to be happy. So I reply as quickly as I can to when they send me something. But if you reply within two minutes, then what tends to happen is they'll reply back again with, with more. And now you've set a precedent where your email is not just a, a, a medium to exchange information, but it's an instant chat. Mm -hmm. And they'll get really annoyed when you don't reply quickly to their emails in the future. Whereas that's the benefit of that auto reply. It's kind of sets the scene of email is something that takes a few hours. You have to allow a few hours for a reply. Um, so it's sometimes actually good to, uh, to delay responses. If it's not an urgent thing, just reply later. Okay, so what are um, some quick hacks or tips um, or software or, you know, uh, uh, methods that you can give to listeners for both busting procrastination and or distractions? Okay, so procrastination is is a big problem for lots of people. And, and sometimes it's because 
there's so many distractions around with with things, especially working from home. There's always something else, isn't there? There's always, you know, I'll do that just after I've put the wash on or after I've had made a brew or whatever it is that you that you want to do. There's always a reason to not do something now, isn't there? But I like to think the best way to overcome procrastination is to stay calm but get mad. And, and by mad, I mean... Um, it's an acronym for motivation, um, accountability, and deadlines. So if you understand your motivation, whether it's to get you closer to something that you really want or to get you further away from something that you really don't want, it's important to keep that front of mind so that you've got that drive to actually want to do this task. But then the other two are about having uh, having the, the smaller deadlines, the milestones. So for instance, students do this all the time they procrastinate on assignments because they get given a three-month deadline and they've got three months to do it so why would you start now and they wait until it's kind of a, a day or two before and then just try and hammer the whole lot but really um, a, a better kind of management of their time would be to to set mini tasks all the way through and so if you're going to have this done in three months then where do you need to be in two months? Where do you need to be in one month? Where do you need to be in two weeks? Where do you need to be in one week? Where do you have to be today? And that way, by setting those small deadlines, you can, um, you can, if you can attach accountability to them, you can actually manage that that process of getting things done a lot, a lot more effectively. Um, in terms of accountability, I think different people. A good for you can't have one person who just holds you accountable to everything. I don't think sometimes if it's a process-based thing in your business, um, a coach or a colleague or, or somebody like that can hold, help hold you accountable. But with with client deadlines, the client can hold you accountable if you say to them, "Right, you want the whole project done by then? Well, I'll actually have the first draft of it done by then for you." You've set a mini deadline for yourself. And you know they're going to ask you for it on that date because you've promised it. Um, so that's uh, that's really good. When you're at home, your family are really good at holding you accountable because if you try and promise them that you're going to go out for a lovely day out on Saturday and then try and cancel it, you know that that's going to be a problem. Um, so yeah, you keep calm, get mad. That would be one for, for procrastination. Um, another one would be this thing called Gimme Five. So getting started is the hardest bit, usually. Once you've got going with something, then you can carry on. Hardest bit about going out, going out for a run is getting your trains on and getting out the front door. Um, so give me five is about um, just doing it for five minutes. So if you, it's part of that mindset of, of, of that shift of mindset and how you're going to do things. You might think, right, I need to do my, uh, my invoices. Right, well, I'm going to do them, but I'm going to make a brew first. No, you're not. You're going to just do five minutes first, and then you can go and make a brew. Because there is that option for you after five minutes to go and make a brew, and you might take that up every once in a while. But most of the time, once you've switched the computer and you've got into it and you started, you'll carry on and you'll continue. So Gimme Five is uh, is definitely a, a, a hack or a, a tip for... Uh, for beating procrastination yeah i like that i i don't ever have a problem starting <laughs> i have okay. um, a strength in the gallup strengths called activator and uh, it's basically you get a lot of energy from starting new projects and if anything i have a problem starting too many things so yeah. i reckon i would use that give me five um i get this so i i love starting energy and i love finishing energy but i really struggle in the middle like when yeah. you're in that grueling sort of 45% to 75%. I find it so fucking difficult to keep going. So um, for me, I might actually use that, um, give me five, but in the middle rather than at the start. Um, so yeah, I find that really interesting. And the fact that you can then apply that to something, you know, cause not everybody like works in the, like in the same way. So uh, like I completely agree about accountability as well. So I have so many different mechanisms for accountability. So for like writers, I run uh, like writing sprints. Um, 
like I do a monthly Patreon writing sprint poison and prose and we will be on screen on camera right sprinting and you have to you know it's very obvious if you're suddenly on your phone instead of sprinting uh, during that time and then I run weekly accountability in my Facebook group so I will tell everybody all my tasks for the week I just put them out in the group and then I say and then when the next week you say well this is what you did last week against that and then this is what I'm doing this week so like if I have a good week everybody knows about it and if I have a shit week everybody knows about it but um yeah. yeah there's like like hundreds of comments every week where people will confess what they're doing um and we just hold each other to account and then i'm trying to think oh so i also run co-host i should say another podcast called the next level authors where each week we ask each each other a question and um and then at the end of the podcast we say what we're going to do to level up our business each week and if we don't do it there are forfeits and we yeah. do these forfeits like live on camera so like yeah if you if, it, if listeners can find themselves like a creative accountability partner or you know join groups where there's like accountability each week I definitely find it something that that works for me as well although I do know yeah. that some people find the pressure of that too much um but yeah for me I'm a huge fan of accountability yeah. oh, it sounds really good though and and you're you're obviously cracking the whip with people and and be holding people accountable which is amazing and everybody needs that but in terms of the middle bit, you said it's starting's okay and finishing is okay. Yeah. The middle bit's the hard bit. I think um, for a lot of people, the answer to that is that mini deadlines thing. Split mm. that task up into a lot of little tasks, and then you're by the time you've started, you're pretty much nearly finished, and then you're just starting again and finishing again, and yeah. that tends to work. That is fantastic. And I'm going to mute myself and write that down in a second um, <laughs> because I have been told that before. And I used to, in my old life, I used to be a project manager and we used to have like milestones and things. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, have sort of lost that along the way. And because I also have a strength called Achiever, we love to tick shit off. So um, <laughs> that will really help. One of the reasons I think that I stopped doing it is because there is so much uncertainty and I have so... I have lost a lot of control in my daily life. Like, um, you know, my mum's looking after my son today, but I didn't know what time she was, I could drop him off. I didn't Mm. know, you know, so I had no way of like knowing when I could start work and therefore I couldn't plan today because I didn't know how much time I was going to have. So I find like, and that's sometimes the same, like with this fucking Corona nonsense, I never know (laughs) if he's going to be in school, out of school. And so it's really hard to set deadlines because as much as I like thrive off of a deadline, I get painfully, excruciatingly demoralized by not hitting one because it's unacceptable. And because I'm so black and white, I think I've shied away from like mini deadlines in the past year because I actually am finding I'm getting more demoralized when I can't hit a deadline that I've set, which has been the case for pretty much everything over the last year. Um, But yeah, like under normal circumstances, I love that. And that is definitely a technique I'm going to write down so that I um, implement as I get more control back. Yeah, I think there's something you can add into that as well, actually, Sasha, because because it fits in with what we said earlier about people overestimating what they can achieve in a day. Mm. So if you break it into mini deadlines, the temptation is to say, right, well, I'm going to do this, which is way too much for me to do in this amount of time by sort of an hour's time. And then you'll be demoralized when you don't do it. So the thing that you can add into it is uh, I always like to, to say, you should always add VAT and, um, you'd add it onto your prices. If, you, if you're VAT registered, obviously, you'd add it onto your prices. And no matter what you're charging, you'd be charging a little bit more than that to account for the VAT. And VAT in time is about valuable additional time. So if you think that something will take you an hour, give an hour and 20 for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your mini deadline, just give longer than you think you need. So if, you, if you're on track, brilliant, you're early. You can always find something extra to do in that time, I'm sure. But if you overrun, which quite often you, you will do, then it's not a, a disaster because you've accounted for that. Yeah, I love it. I think I'm just trying to remember. I think in the old project management days, we called it slippage time, something like that. Yeah. That sounds like a very corporate version of, of that. <laughs> but I much prefer um, add that time, which I think is brilliant. What a what a great word to call it. Um, OK, uh, what 
what methods or tactics can you suggest to help people get clearer boundaries, like firmer, clearer time boundaries so that their time isn't taken up by um, like other people's tasks or like a life admin? And, and that is not I'm not referring to quality family time. I'm literally, you know, it's things like, oh, can you go to the post office? you know, because you have flexibility because you work for yourself. Oh, no, I can't because I've got a fucking job to do. <laughs> you know? But like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's a terrible example. But <laughs> I do feel like my time is not always my own when it should be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, so in, in terms of setting boundaries, um, we're all good at setting start times of meetings, but we're not really very good at setting end times of meetings. Um, you tend to go with something that's one of the default settings in your calendar. So you say, right, we'll meet at one o'clock. So it automatically goes up one till two. Mm-hmm. And you think, okay, so that's that's just an hour. We only really needed 10 minutes, but we, it's now coming to my calendar as a, as a one hour entry. Um, I think setting the end times is really, really, really important. And whenever I've reached up to, to people who I want something from them, that's what I mean by reaching up rather than, you know, a, a nice chat, which will be level or um, if somebody wants something from me, this is about if if I've um, reached out to somebody for their advice, they tend to always uh, do this very, very well. And they'll say, how is it that I can help you? So they want some information to kind of pre-qualify your chat. And then they'll say, um, speak to my, my PA and they'll book us in a 10 minute slot. So you immediately think, flipping out, they've got a they've got a PA, they must be busy, they must be uh, must be doing well. Um, and they're booking this 10 minute slot. Because they've said it's 10 minutes, they've said it about five times, a 10 minute slot. When you turn up to speak to them, you are ready to just get to the point and say what it is that you need to say and be ready to be off the call again in 10 minutes. But interestingly, what tends to happen once you've done that, you get to about nine minutes 30 and say, I know we said we'd only got 10 minutes, so thanks very much. And they go, oh, it's okay. We can we can talk for a bit longer if you if you like. Um, but they've given themselves like get out by talking about the end time um, from the start, if you know what I mean. So starting with the end in mind, as they would say. Um, and well, I suppose with longer meetings, people um, make the mistake, meetings overrun because they start to wind down the meeting too late. So if it's, if it's due to finish at one o'clock, it'll be like, right, um, 12.59, any other business? Are you joking? Any other business is going to last another 10 minutes, and then we're going to be 10 minutes over time. So the, a good um, a good tactic with that is to actually schedule in um, the point where you're going to start winding it down. Mm. Um, and you're going to start saying, right, okay, so we've only got 10 minutes left. Let's just clarify what are the actions that we're taking from this summarizing a meeting is my literal favorite thing to do like I cannot stand meetings where you don't summarize because I tell you what the number of people you catch out like that's why I take such like uh, detailed notes in meetings because guaranteed that somebody will go away and not do the thing that they're supposed to do or, or you forget I mean I you know but if you have all it summarized at the end of the meeting like all the actions and stuff are just that is if you take away one thing from today do that because it will change your life (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it's um yeah so so winding it down i suppose it reminds me of when when you go whenever we go out when we're allowed to go out um, and you go out to um to meet a few friends i sometimes think and you've had your on here i sometimes think by the time she said goodbye to the last person she spent that long doing it that she needs to go and say goodbye to the first person again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So get get some time in just to to say your goodbyes and and do it summarize quickly and then let's let's move on. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, and speaking of like going out in the world today, in given given the global crisis, I mean there are always different types of crisis, whether it's personal crisis, health crisis, there are always things um, that happen, big life changes, perhaps you move, perhaps you change job, um, so on and so forth. So like, what advice can you give listeners on how they can get back on track with their like creative time management when these big things do happen? Yeah, um, I mean, this is, 
I think going back to the original point about having the right realistic expectations about what what you can do um, in a pandemic, if you're suddenly um, faced with having to homeschool your kids whilst you're doing work, I think you've got to be realistic about that. And things like 80-20 and, and things like that can can help to, to manage with that. But realistically, you're not going to be, you, you're the, your kid's best teacher. You always have been and you always will be. Um, but you can't do 100% of their education mm-hmm. um, and 100% of your work at the same time. So essentially, if your kids are happy and healthy and um, and provided for, you're doing an amazing job already. And I think people need to remember that if they're, if they're trying to juggle all of this at home. Um, and not, not be frightened of having some time where you actually have to do your own work and you, ha- you, you want to be creative. You know, you're prioritizing certain times of the day for, um, for certain things. And there's nothing wrong with, with your kid not having 100% um, of their curricular activities going on all day. Do you know what I mean? Try and find that top 20%. Make sure they're doing that, and then everything else after that. Let's try and try and do the best we can with it. But um, yeah, I think I think realistic expectations is big. But the, a lot of the thing about mindset is about going through, going from a mindset of excuses, and I'm not belittling what's going on in the world now by any means, because there's so many things that we can't control that are going on, and you shouldn't have to take responsibility for them, but even when we're not in a pandemic, people find reasons not to do things that they really should do and they find excuses for it. But I think going from excuses to responsibility as much as possible with things that are within your circle of influence is um, is really, really important. Um, for instance, you can't control the weather, as they always say, but you can put a coat on and you can do the best you can with with the situation that you've got and so yeah I, th- I think it's tough times but um you know people are doing a good job with it they need to be realistic with what what they're going to achieve and do the best that they possibly can in the time that they've got all right this is always my favorite question this is the rebel author podcast so can you tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel yeah, I think uh, it, this was a, a this is kind of tricky one to think about because I, I was saying this before with uh, with my wife. So I'm not a particularly rebellious person, but um, one thing that I have started kind of putting my foot down a lot more about is um, is attending meetings and when people want your time, it's saying no to to a lot more things. So that's not to say that I'll just discount everything, but if if people invite you to a meeting and they will do. We'll invite you to all sorts of different things. One uh, thing that I found very useful is to say to them, can you send me the agenda? Because if there isn't an agenda, I don't want to go. Um, if there is an agenda, then I want to be able to look through it and say, what do you want me to contribute to this? And if you can't identify what that is, just politely decline. Say, I don't think I can contribute to this meeting. Please send me the minutes. Um, and if, uh, if you think you can contribute, but it's only for a little bit, then you can maybe say, well, can I think I can contribute to this bit. Can you put it first or last? And I'll just turn up for that bit. And I, I love that. that allows you to do, do that. When we end this podcast, I'm going straight upstairs to tell my wife that because I think she attends far too many meetings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. Okay, thank you so much for your time today. Can you tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books? Yeah, um, you can connect with me. I use LinkedIn. Uh, it's kind of my, my main social um, platform. So you can find me on there, Stephen Watson. Uh, you can contact me via email or on my website, which is 27andahalf.co.uk. That's 27andahalf.co.uk. Um, and my book will be released really soon. Um, if you want to be kept up to date with dates, you can get on my mailing list on the um, on the website. I think it will be out by the time this airs. What, what what's the release date? It's March, isn't it? Um, it's it's in it's with the publisher at the moment, so I'm not sure exactly on the okay. the date that it's going to be out. But yeah, okay. it's called Time Limited: Transform Your Busyness into a Thriving Business.
Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, thank you to all of the show's listeners and a big thank you to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that's Sasha with a C and not an S. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Stephen Watson and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by another indie author, Titan, the legend that is David Gochran. And we'll be talking all about how you can start publishing from zero in 2021 and, uh, yeah, go from zero to hero. God, no, that's a cliche. Zero to, you know publishing career. Anyway, join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.